Hidden Gems, Episode 41, Steady Hands, Shallow Breathing, Dexterity Games. Welcome to Hidden Gems, a board game podcast where we review unusual, forgotten, and underappreciated board games. We're your hosts. My name is Chris. This is Bill. And I'm Cameron. Thanks for listening to our show. He's back. I'm back. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> In a first ever Hidden Gems episode without Jason, but with Bill. <laughs> That's wow. right. Is this that is the, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, this is that. fun. Okay. This is an unusual combination. It is. Absolutely. I thought there was one other where Jason went on vacation. There was one where it was just you and I, oh, okay. and it was a technological nightmare. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of tech support phone calls. <laughs> and, yeah, and I, I remember swore that. never again. We had Jason on speed dial. We were mm. floundering. Or maybe it was you, Cameron. I don't remember, yeah, but we were struggling. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if that was one where we actually had to record a segment or not. But No, we didn't have to re-record, but we couldn't get it started for some reason. Oof. We took a reboot or whatever. It, it was, was the early days. It was rough. Well, <laughs> it was rough. I am here tonight, happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this episode. You've been teasing me about this one for yes. for a long time, and I'm like, I'm going to be in on that episode, right? And you're like, yeah, you're going to be in on it. We got you on the schedule. Oh, for the it. next few for you, I've intentionally scheduled because I remember we had a conversation not long ago. He's like, man, a lot of these games just aren't really my style, you know. <laughs> you're like, man, no, you're a lot of these games, game. I'm not enjoying them. They're not very thematic. And I was like, I got you, man. I feel so honored. It's coming. Awesome. Well, fantastic to be here. I will actually just jump right in and get the banter section started because I'm kind of pumped to talk about my thing. So I guess for one thing, I'm doing Ketober. I'm on a <laughs> keto diet. Yep. My dad and mom have been having all sorts of success with it themselves. And I've put on a couple dad bod pounds in the past year. <laughs> and I was like, you know, it'd be great to just take a break from all the extra snacks and whatever and tune things up a little bit. Yep. The consequence of that is that I'm hangry all the time. And I get in fights <laughs> with my wife about nothing. And it's always my fault. Mm. So we're working out new strategies. Dude, to- I hear you. I've done keto diet before and it works. I've also been curiously getting a lot of extra shop time and I'm kind of wondering if they're connected. <laughs> it's like, do you want to go to the shop tonight? I'm like, I went out of the shop last night. She's like, yeah, but you've got a lot to do. <laughs> Might be a correlation. <laughs> yeah. I finally That's determined funny. that I just couldn't go without ice cream any longer. Oh, man. I, I couldn't do it anymore. That's why I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm like grossly overweight or something like that. I'm just trying to take a break from certain things and giving myself a limit just the month of October and I had a fun name and it didn't require me to shave any of my facial hair off or anything <laughs> like that. So. But the thing that I wanted to talk about, so we recently turned our Netflix back on. We've had it off for oh, I don't okay. know how long. We turned it off because we were literally not using it. It was just getting billed for it every month and we never turned it on. Well, some shows have kind of piled up. So we've gone back through Stranger Things and we've caught up with mm-hmm. season four, which is super fun. And I'm a sure we can talk about right. yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed the season. Casey and I did. It's fall, so obviously that means there's a new season of Great British Baking Show. <laughs> so that's Friday nights for Casey and I. Bill just perked up. Yeah, it's totally awesome. And, Love and of that course, show. not on Netflix, but we are watching Rings of Power and I'll oh. save my commentary for later. Leave you guys wondering, do I think it's good or bad? I'm not even going to give any indication. And wow. minor spoiler, there'll be a very good reason for you to talk about the show in the future. Oh, so awesome. we'll just leave it at that. All right. But the other fun thing that has come from turning Netflix back on is this show that we just recently started watching called Alone. Have you guys ever heard of this show? I have not. It's not Maybe? like a drama or a thriller. It's more like a documentary 
contest kind of show. Okay. And the basic premise is Oh, this is the survival show. Yeah. Yes. They I've, basically I've seen send this. like ten people out into the wilderness yes. somewhere and they have minimal provisions, mm-hmm. really no provisions in terms of food, but some equipment. They have to build their shelter and strategize about food and hunt and yes. whatever and, and body just, weight. Yeah. And they have to be concerned about calorie intake yes. and all this other stuff. And it's just absolutely fascinating. And a totally mental agree. game associated with it too. And I just think they do such a good job. It's been kind of heartwarming for me because you're watching these people kind of suffer and have a hard time trying to do it, but they're psyching themselves up and they're reflecting on their family and how much the Mm -hmm. money would help out their family life. And I feel like every single person who's left the season that we're watching, every single one of them is like, you know, I just want to make my son proud. I just want to make my parents proud or whatever. I don't know. It's like really heartwarming sort of values that how much these people really care about their families and desire to be with them, Mm -hmm. you know, after having this experience of being alone for however long. I'm excited because there's like seven seasons of it. Oh, yeah. We've only watched the most recent season. I've watched several of them. It sounds really horrible to me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, oh, my God. But it's, it's especially crazy. Some of the things that they find it like eat. Oh, yeah. It's like, how do you know that? You're just picking up mushrooms left and right. This one lady ate snails. Yeah. You know, and they're just like, that's calories. Chomp, chomp. Yeah. And as you get deeper into the show, it's amazing how having food mm-hmm. may not be enough. Oh, yeah. So there's one season. I'll try not to spoil it too much, but this guy actually killed a moose. Oh, my God. And he had so much meat, but he was still in jeopardy of getting removed. Because in this show, they have doctors that yeah. come and check them. Mm-hmm. You can't just eat protein. Right. And even if they want to continue... Mm-hmm. If the doctor is like, it is not safe for you to keep going, they will force them to resign. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so he had food running out of his ears, but he was losing weight because he had no Ooh. fat. Oh, wow. Golly. He had no fats. And he was sweating because he was like, I can't gain weight. He was just dropping weight like crazy. It was crazy mm-hmm. to watch how this guy you tried to, to work like his a, way around that. Like a, like a balanced diet. Right? Yeah. But I agree with you. It's interesting to see how many of them are in a good position. Mm-hmm. And they quit because they just get too lonely. Yeah. Right. They want to be with people. Yeah. There was one guy in this season. And it was shocking because I was looking at him going, like, this dude's figuring stuff out and he's like, doing fine. Yeah. And like out of nowhere, he's just like, I miss my family. Yeah. I'm done. I just, I just don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It is crazy. It makes you wonder if they have rules for the cameraman to not talk to them or something. <laughs> well, they, right? They're filming themselves. That's yeah. the other oh, kind of really? crazy part. They, they yeah, go they in each with have like two different equipment. cameras, like oh. two or three GoPros and like one nicer camera. Mm-hmm. And they have to film themselves. Oh, they really yeah. are. By they're completely alone. I feel like some of these survival shows like Bear Grylls and Survival mm-hmm. Man and stuff give people the wrong impression because they have like, people around them and they never feel like they're in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. These people are completely alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. mm. they drop them in the same area, but they're so far apart that they never interact. Right. right. So they see nobody yep. for weeks yep. at a time. And they're doing performative things in front of the camera because they're narrating about their lives or whatever they're thinking about or whatever they're going to work on. Like in front or of the camera, they're sometimes they're traps. doing like phone weather casts and stuff like that. <laughs> we just really been enjoying it's it. It's super cool. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to watching. Yeah, you, you would like it, Bill. Pretty I cool. think. Yeah, I think it's so a too. cool show. Mm-hmm. Well, that's me, man. I have to follow that. I yeah. love Alone. I forgot how much I enjoyed it. That's a good one. Watch Alone, people. It's good if you're into that kind of thing. All right. So I'm going to talk about a video game. I've been on a video game tear lately. Mm-hmm. I've been playing Metroidvanias out the wazoo oh, okay. over the last month or so. I think most people that listen to this podcast probably know what we mean when we say Metroidvania. But in case you don't, I'll explain it really quickly. So it's a combination between Metroid and Castlevania. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, these games are 2D, usually 
action platforming side-scrolling games mm-hmm. with a backtracking element. And what I mean by that is you'll see areas in the game where there's a door you can't reach or a thing you can't get to. And later in the game, you'll acquire something that will enable you to get there and get that thing. So there's a lot of going back to places you've been. And one of the biggest tricks that I think is probably a little overdone at this point is actually going back to the room in which you start the game. There's usually some kind of big secret or something there in the very first room. Right. That's general Metrovania. So our favorite Metrovania, at least mine is, is Hollow Knight. And this one is very much in the vein of Hollow Knight. And it's called Ender Lilies. Okay. Quietus of the Nights. <laughs> I know that name sounds completely obnoxious. <laughs> and it is a little bit. But I will tell you, this game is as close to Hollow Knight as you can get, in wow. my opinion. Mm-hmm. If you like Hollow Knight, you have to play this game. In my opinion, it is very good. So just to give you a general idea of the gameplay and the story a little bit, which I think is interesting, you play as a white priestess by the name of Lily. You're a little girl, actually. And the game takes place in a very beautiful, graphically speaking, but very ruined world. So basically what's happened is this thing is called the Blight has kind of destroyed everything. Everything is dilapidated. The environment is destroyed. And all the people in the world are demonic now. They're possessed. They're undead. They're evil. And everybody except for you is blighted because the white priestesses, for whatever reason, cannot be blighted. Well, let me me rephrase that. The white priestesses are very resistant to being blighted. Okay. So what you're doing is you're going through the levels purifying people of their blight specifically bosses. And when you purify a boss, their spirit that's purified begins to fight with you. So the way the game works is it's super cool. You have these three little auras that are floating around this little girl. Mm -hmm. And whenever you hit one of the attack buttons, one of these spirits that you purified that's now working with you materializes and attacks. Mm -hmm. So if I hit X, for example, the sword guy will materialize and he'll swipe, whereas another spirit might do a different thing. Think okay. Mega Man. Right. Like you're here to get acquiring new abilities. Metal Blade and Bubble, of, yeah. whatever it is. You know, that's kind of what you're doing. Four more bosses. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. That's, that's exactly cool. what it's right. Mm-hmm. And you can switch between two loadouts on the fly of three different wow. spirits. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're constantly going back and forth and chaining together awesome combos. This game is great. Wow. Mm-hmm. It is almost as good as Hollow Knight. Dang. It also you're tempting has, me. I don't have time to play video games, Chris. <laughs> dude, it's good, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> is you, it, again, a Switch? It is on the Switch. I think it's mm-hmm. on, you can get it on Steam for sure, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But yeah, on the Switch, indie scene, super good. Highly recommend it. This would be a six out of six video game for me. Dang. Not mm-hmm. to mention, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Like Hollow Knight is mm-hmm. with multiple endings. Mm-hmm. Like okay. Hollow Knight does. Okay. Very similar. But yeah, wow. check it out. Ender Lilies. Solid. Like does, it. does it have jumping puzzles in it and those kinds of things? Jumping puzzles. Not like a Leckhead. Not like a Leckhead. Yeah, yeah, okay. Have you started a Leckhead? I have not. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not. Have I've, you started a Leckhead? No. You can get on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I looked at the trailer and I was like, that looks like something I would spend more time than I have <laughs> on. Awesome. All right, Bill. How about you? What's going on? Well, give us something to do. You're going to love this because, yeah, this is another area where Chris and I do not see eye to eye, but I am a huge Firefly fan. Boo. <laughs> Firefly <laughs> <I've> been, sucks. <laughs> I've been re binge watching it, and it is seven layers of awesome that I've always said it is. And yeah, I think. Yeah, Chris, you just got it totally wrong. But I think I, most people would disagree with me. Yeah, yeah. The smart people of the universe, for <laughs> sure. But I got the board game from Facebook Marketplace 
several months ago and and got some friends to play it with me. And it's one of those games I'm not sure yet. It's pick up and deliver with some dice rolling in the middle. And I will say that I think there's some of you and Jason that's rubbing off on me. It's like, (laughs) okay, I've worked really hard and here I'm going to roll a dice at the end to see whether this is going to work out for me or not. But yeah, it's still good. But in my series of lucky days of actually getting to play board games that were not in this room that I got to pick. You never get to pick when you come over here. No, I never get to pick. And I'm sitting here thinking, how did the Cameron over here get to influence what games he plays? Because I that means I get all the crap episodes, I think, is what that means. Um, but my daughters came in town, and I've been breaking out some of the new games for them, and I got them to try Counterfeiters, which we reviewed yes. here a while ago. And it was a hit. They, great they, game. They really loved it. And I think it's one of the first worker placement games, which yes. is a great starter worker placement, not too totally complicated. Agree. Great entry to that mechanism, for right. sure. Yes, yes. So uh, they were mad at me for gobbling up all the printers. And I did say, hey, the printers are gold here. But anyway, <laughs> I killed. So maybe not next time. Bad teacher. I, bad, yes, I was. <laughs> I did. I tried to tell them. This is important. <laughs> but no, they wanted their three-star counterfeits right away. And the last one we played was Just One. Have you heard of Just One? Oh, oh yes. I love Just One. We've played it many, many times. Oh, have you? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yes. And we just played that. For me, it was the first time the other night. And, oh, really? Yeah, what did yeah. you think of it? I like it. I like it a lot. We played it with four of us. So there was not necessarily a lot of collisions, but when they happened, there was devastating. Cr- <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There was like no chance to do it. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to playing with more people. So yeah. That, yeah. So. It, it's better with more just because, For yeah, sure. if you have two people that match in a four player game, you're probably not going to get the word. Right. right. Exactly. But it's still fun. It is. Yeah. We had a good time with it. That so. one comes with me on every lake trip nowadays. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, good. It's just solid. Mm. All That's right. That's about it. Cool. Thanks, Bill. Mm-hmm. Well, Cocktail time. Indeed. What are, what are we drinking, Chris? What is Cameron taking a sip of tonight? Yeah, I had a tiny sip. It's <laughs> delicious. I, I wish I could drink the whole thing. <laughs> There's a lot of carbs in this baby. <laughs> but man, I am super proud of this one. So oh, let me wow. ask you guys, have you both tasted it yet? I yeah. just did. Does it remind you of anything? Eggnog? It is similar in that way, I guess. Let me be um, more specific. Does it remind you of a candy bar? Oh, man, I got to oh, sip it again is now. It, is it like a Milky Way? Not Milky Way, although that's a good guess. It's not Butterfinger. It is the Butterfinger. Is it? Because wow. this is a Dexterity Games episode. Oh, oh Butterfinger! Man. Oh, oh genius! Like a I did good. You did yes. good. Forehead slap. Good job. <laughs> yeah. So this is the Butterfinger mm-hmm. in honor of our Dexterity Games episode. So this is a half ounce of Bailey's Irish Cream. I was going to say Bailey's. That's what I was coming mm-hmm. up with. Mm-hmm. Half an ounce of vodka. Half an ounce of butterscotch schnapps, which sounds like it would be hard to find, but every ABC store carries it. Okay. Mm. Easy to get. Mm. And then half an ounce of Kahlua. Nice. Mm. Wow. So I will not be going to sleep tonight. It's got the Bailey's and the Kahlua. (laughs) Bailey's and Kahlua. (laughs) It's extra rich. Okay. Mm. And extra caffeine-y. Here you go, Bill. Thank you. Enjoy. I appreciate it. Why does Bill get it? (laughs) He he called dibs like way earlier. (laughs) He did. It's true. He could have it. Yeah, that's it. Butterfinger. Awesome. It's delicious. I will say. Thank you. Give it five stars. Five stars. It's a six out of six cocktail. There we go. (laughs) All right. So as I just mentioned, we're talking about dexterity games tonight. This is a little bit of an odd one for us. Mm -hmm. We on Hidden Gems are equal opportunity gamers. That's right. (laughs) We will play the co-op game. The co-op games episode is coming. Unfortunately. Am I on that one? I was going to say, this (laughs) is how you get Chris to curate episodes (laughs) around your preferences. I am very specifically picking the games that are going to be on the episode just so I can tolerate it. We started planning to make this podcast. I'm like, we're going to do a co-op games episode? And Chris is like, I guess. (laughs) Okay. Sure. Does that mean you'll do the podcast with me? If we have to. (laughs) And And here we are, episode end of the 40s, and we still have 41. 
It's coming. But it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Social deduction for Jason, it's going to happen. But all I have to say, Dexterity is kind of an odd bird in the board gaming world. Mm-hmm. It's certainly a game, but it's not what you would typically think about when you think about board games, right? where you're placing pieces on a board and making a strategy. It's more just kind of in the moment, testing your dexterity, testing your patience, and how you can manipulate the board without usually something catastrophic happening yeah, to what, you. I think that's typically dexterity. Right. What I think in my mind is Saturday morning cartoons and seeing the pickup sticks commercial, right? <laughs> where you pick up sticks and don't move the stick in like, like kids games or something. kind of thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But not all. You know, Crokinole is a flicking game, right? Which also falls in dexterity. I'm giving a big lead in here. I'm trying to say there's a lot to consider here with dexterity games. So just generally speaking, how do you guys feel about dexterity? You had a lot of experience with it in the past. How do you feel about it as a genre? I will say the first thing that comes to mind, and I cannot remember the name of this game, but I have wanted to play more of these games since we played the one that has the big cardboard tiles. I think it's a co-op game. It's a co-op game. It's called Manara. Manara, that's right. And you have to pick up the cardboard things and you have to place it in certain areas in order to build the structure up, yep. I guess, as high as you can make it or yep. something like that. I really enjoyed that game and I was looking forward to playing more games like this because I think that there's something to having to judge the physics of things and be careful and understand how balance is going to work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and not to get ahead of things, I think it's just a good lead into what we're going to be talking about in our reviews. Mm-hmm. But this was a great episode to do with you, Cameron, and you too, Bill, because I feel like you guys have a very mechanical mind. Mm-hmm. Me, not so much. I'm just like, place, don't fall. But Cameron and Bill <laughs> are like breaking down the physics of the apparatuses <laughs> and trying to explain why things are falling off. And I'm like, man, I'm just not thinking on that level. But I think it's an interesting <laughs> viewpoint for sure. That's all right. Well, most of the time I'm not thinking on your <laughs> level when it comes to the, some of the strategy games. It's pretty funny that you mentioned about manual dexterity games because I generally don't like them simply because I feel like these are games that it's really obvious that you can get good at. Yes. As if you own one and somebody else comes to play and you have a game that you love and you've gotten good at it, it's just not fun for anybody else. And so I feel like a lot of these games would fall in that category. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the elephant in the room here is Crokinole, Mm -hmm. right? If you're good at Crokinole and you're playing somebody that's new to the game, Mm -hmm. you will destroy them (laughs) over and over again, right? Just Mm because you've gotten good at that little flick, right? Mm -hmm. You can get very skillful at dexterity games if you know it well, at least. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Cool. Well, let's get into these dexterity (laughs) games. Well, let's get into these dexterity games. Yeah, let's do it. Pirates are the least of Captain Bullseye's problems. He has his cargo riskily stowed away high up in the yard arms so that no pegleg can get too close to it. But given his unusual way of self-guarding the cargo, many a hardened sea dog turns out to be just an ordinary seaman who gets into trouble with his balance already halfway up the mast. In this case, as if they were jinxed by the ship's gremlin. (laughs) All chests on wobbly planks start shifting until the whole ship threatens to capsize in the pitching and tossing of the waves. But in the blink of an eye, the best hands from Captain Bullseye's crew catch the falling load. (laughs) The yard arms. (laughs) You can be part of me crew anytime, (laughs) Cameron. Oh, I feel like I'm so out of practice with this uh, flavor text stuff. That was good. I, I like the pirate draw. That was pretty good. Oh, you crushed it. All right. Riff Raff. 
published in 2012 by Zach Verlag. At the time of this recording, its BGG ranking is 1,809. The designer of this game is Christoph Kanzler. Interestingly, this guy has quite a few designs, several published designs, although I had never heard of any of them, and none of them are really very highly rated, except for this one. All right, brief rule summary for Riffraff. Riffraff is a challenging dexterity game where the players are trying to load their cargo onto a moving, unsteady ship before the other players. The centerpiece of Riffraff is the ship itself, and if you're going to understand how the game of Riffraff works, you need to understand how the ship works. As part of the setup, players will take two cardboard pieces that fit together to form a volcano-like structure that sits snugly within the game box. Of course, this is not a volcano. This is actually supposed to represent a huge wave that the boat is sitting mm-hmm. on, but it looks like a volcano. It's got a circular opening mm-hmm. at the top of the structure. Within the hole, or within the circular opening at the top, sits a wooden circle, and then within that sits something they call the ball bar. So this is a long wooden rod with a heavy circular ball bearing, basically, that's attached to it to give it weight at the bottom of this long arm. The hull of the ship is then attached directly to the ball bar, and then a long mast is connected to the hull. Extending out from the mast are three yard arms <laughs> at three different levels of height along the mast. So the yard arms are the things that run horizontally to the mast that the sails sit on, basically. Or the boom. Mm-hmm. The boom. Or the boom. Yeah, I think it's another word for it, but yes. Okay, yeah. I'm a, I'm not a seaman. It's a yard arm. <laughs> it's a hard arm. You sea dog. <laughs> At this point, the ship is now complete. It's important to note that each side of the yard arm and four distinct yard yard arm (laughs) and four distinct quadrants of the hull have a number on them, anywhere from one to ten, with the highest numbers being printed on the upper yard arm and the lower numbers being printed on the hull. So, for example, the yard arm that's farthest up on the mast has the nine and the ten printed on it, while the hull, which is closest to the ball bar, the most secure part of the ship, I guess. Have the lower numbers one, two, that, three, and four. I would call that the deck on the or deck. The deck on the, the deck. deck of the ship. Well, they call it the hole in the. Do you want to I mean, teach the game? No, Bill? no, no, no. But I mean, it's, it's just confusing because the hole's in the here, water. Here right? are my notes, Bill. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, it's all right. You're doing <laughs> middly good on the hole on the deck of the hole. There you go. Are printed four numbers. How about that? Finally, each player also receives ten cards numbered one to ten and cards. eight cards. And I'm never going to get through <laughs> this. And eight uniquely shaped pieces in their pool that they will try to place on this precarious ship. So we all have the same eight pieces, but they're very weirdly shaped. You have a crewman that kind of looks like he's in monkey pose, kind of, and then you've got a treasure chest, and you've got a barrel, and you've got a rat. And they all kind of work together in a weird and unusual ways. If you've played the game Junk Art, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of mm-hmm. similar in that way that they can interconnect with each other in weird ways. The gameplay in Riff Raff is quite simple. Each round, the players will be choosing one numbered card to place face down in front of them. Once all players are ready, they simultaneously reveal their played card. Players will then place one piece of their choice from their pool of pieces onto the ship in descending order based on the card played. However, the catch is the played card also dictates where you must place your chosen piece. So if you play your 10, that's the highest number. You can almost ensure you'll be placing first, but the catch is you have to place that piece on the 10 space on the ship, which if you'll recall is at the highest point on the boat, Mm -hmm. which is the most precarious point on the boat. Okay. When placing your piece on the ship, you cannot touch the ship with your hands. 
However, you can use your placed piece to move around other previously placed pieces in that sector of the boat. If, after placing your piece on the boat, any pieces fall off of the ship, those pieces must be placed into your pool of pieces and be replaced onto the ship. However, and this is interesting and fun, if you manage to catch any falling pieces before they hit the table, those pieces are placed out of play and do not go into your pool of pieces. One other minor rule I should mention is when placing a piece, if another piece is already present on that specific part of the ship, the player can announce that they are going to attempt to place two pieces instead of just the one. Play will continue on in this way until one player has no pieces in front of them, winning immediately, or after the 10th card is played and nobody's won immediately in the way I just explained, whoever has the fewest number of pieces in front of them will win the game. And that's generally how you play <laughs> Riff Raff. Uh, well done. The yard arm. Good job. <laughs> Butterfingers made me all phlegmy. <laughs> <laughs> Struggling right Boy, now. Boy, Chris, you make good radio. All right. So I think one interesting feature. I think Jaeger bomb anybody. I think one interesting <laughs> feature of dexterity games, not all dexterity games, but many dexterity games is they have a very striking table presence. Mm-hmm. Right. So this game in particular, you have a wooden boat, literally, sitting on top of a large volcano-like wave structure. When people walk by the table, they're going to be like, what is going on? Right. Right. It's just very eye-catching. It's very interesting. It looks unusual for a board game, quote-unquote. So I think a good place maybe to start, and we'll just see what kind of discussion stems from this, is what were your first thoughts when you saw this structure? And I mean, anything would apply here. What you thought about it, mechanically speaking, because mm-hmm. inevitably when people sit down to play this for the first time, they start to touch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you want to kind of get a feel you for what see, it's doing. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah. What were your first impressions about how you thought it would work? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Yeah. When I walked in, you'd already had it set up the night that we were going to play this for the first time. It reminded me of this experience that I had when we were at Origins, where it was like the first day and we we're just walking around as people are setting up these mm-hmm. tabletop games. And you're just like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just so curious, like, how would it be like to play this game? And yeah. The floating islands. Yeah. And stuff all like that, that kind of stuff. And I mean, I had the same feeling with this one because it's probably what, like 12 to 16, 18 inches tall. Right. And so, yeah, it not many games stand up that high. I was pretty impressed. And definitely I started immediately. We're like, you have to place these things like, Oh, (laughs) I have ideas how this is going to work. Yep. I'll say I had a similar experience. The boat itself is really well done. I mean, it's got multiple levels on the ship deck that makes it really look like a 16th century sailing ship kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But yeah, I'm thinking, you know, what the heck's Chris getting us into (laughs) when I'm looking at it, especially when you look at the masts. There's three levels of masts and they have kind of popsicles things that are across the maps. And you could tell right away this is going to be a balance game. Yeah. And those are just super floppy. (laughs) Thinking, how is this going to work out as we're doing it? And I'm ready to try it kind of thing. The other thing that I really appreciated is that the mast, you could say it mainly will move front to back along the length Mm -hmm. of the boat, but it also has an elongated hole that it passes through that will allow it to tilt to the left and the right a certain number of degrees as well. So this thing can move all around on you as you're trying to place your pieces out, which I think augmented the experience because now instead of just being worried about is my placement going to tip it forward or backward, 
you might tip the whole thing over to the side. Yep. So it sets up all sorts of tension as the game progresses. Yeah, and I think that was one of the things that stuck out to me the most is this is a thematic dexterity game. Yeah. I would think that would almost be an impossible task to accomplish. And this mm-hmm. one does it so well because, like Cameron just explained, this ship sways. Mm-hmm. And they really capture that feeling of a ship that's rocking on the waves and the cargo is sliding. Shifting right? around all over it. Yeah. And so your physics mind just starts to begin to think, how am I going to get this stuff on here? And where can I place this piece to where I might be able to set myself up even for a future placement, right? By getting the weight distributions mm-hmm. in certain places. It's really interesting in that way. It's, yeah. What you're doing in this game is you're managing the center of gravity of the boat. Yes. And then you're having to think about the coefficient of friction. They're dropping <laughs> some science words on you guys. And when you're placing these shiny, polished, painted wooden blocks Yep. onto shiny polished wooden yep. <laughs> boat surfaces there's not a high coefficient of friction so yeah. you're very much depending on nailing where the center of gravity is so that it doesn't move around and slide because if it can slide at all it's probably going to slide off right yeah i think that you mentioned it in the rules but in case it wasn't clear the whole other element of this game besides just placing and maybe catching if you knock stuff off is choosing which cards to play and when that was one of the most fascinating aspects of this game from a strategic standpoint right because this is not merely a dexterity game there's some strategy into thinking about what's a good order in which to try to play these cards out right because you're gonna have to play the card at some point during the game it's very unlikely that the game is going to end because someone places out a piece or more every time right and goes out by just running out of pieces first more than likely the game's going to end by playing all the cards. So it's like, when am I going to get my eight or my nine or my 10 out? And you're constantly assessing the board and going, well, (laughs) should I try to get it out right now while the boat's relatively stable? And maybe I can get it up there and set the person to my left up for having to deal with maybe knocking mine off. Mm -hmm. Or do I play it safe and play something on the deck? That's going to be one of those lower numbers that I might wish that I could play later. Yep. Right. Yes. So there's some tension there of trying to figure that out. And I enjoyed that. So what did you guys think of the mix of pieces we had to play? Did you feel like they did a good job with the weights and sizes and the textures of them and stuff like that? Yeah, I did. I think it's a critical element to this kind of dexterity mm-hmm. game. I mentioned junk art earlier, which I think does a good job of this too, where it gives you pieces that are not just of different sizes and weights, but also gives you pieces where sometimes you can see ways of combining them with each other, mm-hmm. right? Or interacting them in certain ways to where you can pull off some really clever placements. Mm-hmm. I thought that was neat. Yeah, you're reminding me of my moment where I think there's one that's shaped like an elongated chest with a round top. Mm-hmm. And I placed the red bottle jar. Yeah, it looks like a bottle. Next yeah. to that chest and then put a barrel in the little... Wedge it in between. In the in little the, crevice yeah. in between them because it rested perfectly on those. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to drop two pieces that turn because of that recognition of how those shapes would interact. I enjoyed that part. And that was another aspect of the decision space of this game is like, okay, I'm going to play this card. I'm going to put it on this location, but which piece? Right. And it's not always incredibly obvious. Well, that was neat. Yeah. So we've been talking a good bit about getting pieces on the boat and placing cleverly, but things are going to fall off this boat. Okay. Right. <laughs> This boat is precarious as heck, okay? But the game, it gives you a release valve for that, and that allows you to catch 
your pieces as they're falling off, right? In fact, and I could be wrong about this, but I read this on BGG somewhere that apparently Riffraff, some sort of translation or maybe some sort of former name maybe of the game, it was supposed to be called Reef Grab, and then it mm. turned into Riffraff. So I think the catching or the grabbing mechanism is built into the gameplay. You just mm-hmm. have to expect that things are going to fall off of the right. ship. Right. How did you feel about that part of the game? I will say I had mixed emotions about it, especially when Cameron pulled off this really great move. They yeah, caught like eight pieces. Right. It's, it, if it, I think if, it caught everything off of the boat. Right. Yeah. Because he, he had a situation where he, he did. He dumped the whole boat, but the boat rocked back and forth from bow to stern in a perfect mm-hmm. X, Y axis sort of thing. And so it was like dumping all the pieces out of a scoop and half of them dumped in the front. And Cameron had a presence of mind to know that the rest of them are going to go off the back. Yeah. So he put his hands on the backside and just caught them all as they poured off of it and to me it felt like that was a little bit too easy of a way to get out of it i mean i don't know how often that happens it was a i will a, say he was the only person who ever pulled that off though i don't true. think it's easy to do that no i don't think so necessarily either because when it falls off onesies and twosies things go everywhere they just right. bounce all over <laughs> right it, on this one though i could see gaming it to make it do that to say i'm gonna make it fall forward i don't know i, I don't risky. think it would, necessarily, it would yeah. absolutely be risky yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of the game, right? It's like, sure, jack with whatever you want. You might be stuck with the consequences. (laughs) Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the grabbing mechanism was a brilliant idea because it just adds another fun element to the game. I think giving yourself the potential to catch pieces that you cause to knock off is a good thing. Especially because, like I said, this boat is precarious. And I do think I have to mention this because... Bill, you kind of mentioned a minor con there, and I do have a minor con kind of in the same vein as well. I don't know how y'all felt about it, but the yard arms, (laughs) especially the top two yard arms, Mm -hmm. are really shaky. Mm -hmm. Now, you can get a reasonable amount of pieces on the deck and on the first yard arm. I think because that yard arm, just in the way it was constructed in my copy, is just sturdier. We can talk about that later, too. But those upper two yard arms, man, every time I had the place up there, I didn't feel good about it because I felt mm. like it just wasn't fair. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. it just felt so I mean, the extreme, sketchy. The extreme ends of them would move vertically like an inch and a quarter. It was a right. significant amount of yeah. movement. Right. To describe a little bit more, these popsicles that are the yard arms have a hole drilled in them that goes through the mast. And so yeah. that hole was just a little bit too big, maybe, so that it rocked back and forth. Like like a 64th, right? I mean, right. it wouldn't it take really, much. No, exactly. So when you were putting it on there, it wasn't the whole tilting of the boat you were dealing with. You were dealing also with the tilting of this popsicle stick that's tenuous yes, at best. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I feel like I have mixed feelings about that because I'm like, I think it's supposed to be fairly difficult. But see, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's difficult. I think in some cases it's just impossible. Mm. Like, I think the really small, lightweight pieces you can get up there, and that's it. Right. Right. That's my argument that I'm making. So you're saying you're thinking it should be possible to put at least some of the heavier objects up toward the top? Or even the middleweight, because I or think there, the weight, there's yeah. like maybe two pieces. You, you put the mouse up there and the small barrel, I think, are like <laughs> yeah. the only two things. that Yeah, and the plank, there. maybe. Yeah, the plank. Yeah, but the outside trick. of that, it yeah, ain't the happening. The bigger ones are not going to go up It there. ain't happening. Mm-hmm. Right. And that bothered me, because I was okay. like, but I want to be able to get them up there. And mm-hmm. physically speaking, it just didn't seem possible. Yeah, there's this part of me that wants to play around with the game and just see like if you counterweighted the bottom with the heaviest stuff. Mm-hmm and then tried to place one of the heavier ones up top, would it work? Would then? it work? I was sort of laughing at y'all because the first time we played this game, you and Jason were competing for who could play the highest numbers 
first mm-hmm. and then you were getting frustrated because everything kept falling off. I'm like, guys, there's no weight at the bottom of the boat. This is my mechanical mind. I was like, you have to create a heavy counterweight at the bottom. A ballast. So that, yeah. so yeah, so that the top of it isn't as swingy. Right. Right. If you don't have that, then yeah, what doesn't matter what you get to set on top of there, it's going to swing off instantly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was a lot of fun figuring out the physics puzzle. All right. Some interesting discussion. I knew there would be on this game. The game is just too interesting not to at least have fun things to talk about it, regardless of whether we enjoyed it or not. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just fun to talk about this game. So, Bill, what are your final thoughts on Riff Raff? <laughs> well, there's a definite learning curve on leaving the piece alone and letting go. I will say when I first started this, there was the tension of, especially like we're talking about putting on the top mast that you can use the piece to kind of steady the ship. And I don't know, it's hard not to cheat, at least for me at first. <laughs> we, we were all doing it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But I think by the end, we all stopped yeah. as well. You know, there's just a learning curve to it. I think this game has a great wow factor for new people who see it the first time. And I did have the, oh no, what's Chris got me into kind of feeling when I first looked at it. <laughs> what I wonder about is how much legs it does have replayability over the long run. But all dexterity games, I think they have a challenge with that. For people who like a dexterity game and want to wow their friends with it, I think you can hardly do any better than this. And so I will give it a four for that, for the people who are wanting something new to show people. But for me, I think I'm going to give it a three. Yeah. I, I loved my experience with it, but I don't know if I'd set aside the real estate for it. Interesting. Okay. Cameron. All right. So overall, I had a lot of fun playing Riff Raff. It's one of those games, it's lighthearted, it's social, and we don't often get to play games like that. And this one surprised me because I felt like it, this one actually offers more than just that, right? There's actually a lot of strategy to this game. It's, mm-hmm. it's not just placing blocks and hoping that it doesn't fall down and trying to catch them. I've had fun trying to figure out, okay, when do I place which piece where, right. what number, what how do, do I take I control yeah. of the lead? How can I make sure that I can control what the state of the board is going to be when it comes to being my turn? Mm-hmm. I enjoyed all that stuff. And actually, I think I won once, which was always very fun because it's so <laughs> infrequent. And I think I was not just because of my absolutely rock steady hand. You crushed us. Because I did well in solving that puzzle. So that was pretty rewarding. And overall, yeah, I enjoyed all my plays. I would definitely recommend giving this one a try. This is a four for me. I like it. Nice. So I'm so torn on this game. <laughs> I am. This is almost a good game for me. It's... <laughs> So close. The game is tense. It's challenging. It's really cool when the boat gets loaded up, which Mm -hmm. does happen sometimes. Mm -hmm. Eight, nine pieces on the boat is about as high as I saw it. That's quite a few for this game. But what kills it is when it gets to eight or nine pieces, and then you're having to place on one of those yard arms, Mm -hmm. and you're like, I am screwed, Mm -hmm. right? Because I'm never going to get a piece on these yard arms because I just don't think I can. Not based on skill, but based on construction. I guess the point I'm making is I don't mind it when games are challenging. Obviously, I like hard games, punishing games, challenging games, as long as they're fair. And the upper two yard arms in this game don't feel fair to me. And it could just be my copy. Maybe those yard arms are just loose for some reason, but... That would be worth mentioning, too. If there's just a lot of inherent variability between copies, maybe you should know that, right? Is your ship going to be wobblier than others? I don't know. All that to say, I think this game is extremely unsteady at baseline. And so for me, it just barely missed it. So I'm going to give it a three as well. I just wasn't quite there on this one. But I could see why somebody would like it. Yeah, fair enough. Sure. Cool. Well... I'm sure because of my review, there are going to be just so many people out there going, where can I get my copy? Oh, yeah. 
This is a harder one to get, unfortunately. I would imagine this has to come back into print at some point. This game is not super hidden. You hear people talk about it sometimes, but it's not easy to find. There are no copies on Noble Knight, unfortunately. There are eight copies on BGG, but they're around 60 to $70, mm-hmm. something like that. So still manageable, but getting on the upper end of being towards expensive, right? Mm-hmm. But it's an experience, folks. It's cool to see. I would say if what we have said here sparks your interest, it's worth trying. And then you could probably just resell it and get your money back, honestly. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Because it's just so weird. It's so unique, right? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I'm surprised. I thought you were going to like it more. Yeah. It was close. Mm -hmm. Close. Because you didn't win. I did. I, I, I did win one time. Oh, okay, you weren't here. Oh, okay, which is why I probably won. Crystal, roll a tape. When I have to beat mask. Bill, I mean, it's going to be easy, right? I mean, that's Twenty-year-olds, that's not fair. That's right. Make Bill play a dexterity game. It's not fair. Right. Just start with two of my pieces. You guys could just handicap, and you just only have one yard arm. <laughs> right. All right. Well, those are our thoughts on Riff Raff. Arch Rival, the game of balance, nerves, and suspense. Arch Rival, the game where things crash and people laugh. <laughs> That's all the flavor you get for this. <laughs> yeah, it's all the flavor it really deserves, I think. All right. Arch Rival, the game of balance, nerves, and suspense. Hmm. I'm on the edge of my seat, Chris. <laughs> Published in 1992 by Hasbro and Parker Brothers. Uh oh. Designer uncredited. Uh oh. Wow. <laughs> At the time of this recording, its VGG ranking is 21,913. <laughs> we just set a new Hidden Gems record, folks. Did, that really? is the, the lowest ranked game oh, wow. that we have reviewed. On Hidden Gems. Amazing. Yes. So I should explain where I heard about this game. Believe it or not, years ago, and I tried to find it and On I couldn't television it's been Saturday morning so long ago. No, it was Dice Tower, actually. Okay. On one of their top 10 lists back in the day when Sam Healy was on the Dice Tower, had to have been eight years ago at least, one of them mentioned this game. I can't remember who, but it was one of them. Okay. As being an enjoyable game. Hmm. And it just so happened that I was at a gaming store not far from here in Burlington called Hypermind, and the owner was purging a lot of their stuff in their played games area. A lot of board game stores have a checkout shelf of games that are already open you can play. Mm-hmm. And she was getting rid of this game. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, can I have that? And she's like, yeah, you can just take it. She was just going to throw it out. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah, I want it. I'll take it. Chris loves free games. I love free stuff. So I took it. That's how I acquired it. Sweet. All right, brief rule summary for Arch Rival. It's pretty brief. In Arch Rival, the players are placing different shaped pieces into an arch, trying to avoid being the player to make it collapse. To play Arch Rival, first you have to construct the arch. The arch is made up of 13 curved bins, and each bin is labeled with one of five different colors. The arch is constructed upon a tilting platform, think like a a seesaw, tilts on a fulcrum, And in order to construct the arch, two curved plastic supports are placed on this tilting base. The curved bins are then placed on these supports, forming the arch. Once the arch is formed, the players will then 
carefully remove the supports, leaving a standing arch on the tilting platform. Once you have successfully constructed the arch, play begins. A player's turn consists of rolling two dice and placing pieces into the bins of the arch. One die is six-sided and tells the player how many pieces they must place into a bin. The other die is eight-sided and tells the player where they must place the pieces. Five of the sides on the eight-sided die coordinate with a color, and the player must place the pieces in a bin of that color. So if I roll red, I have to place it in one of the three red bins, for example. In addition to the colored sides, three sides of the eight-sided die are labeled Arch Rival. If this is rolled, the player to the left of the roller, or the active player, tells the active player which bin they have to place their pieces in. Specifically, they point to a bin and mm -hmm. say, you have to put it in this one. Regarding the pieces you are placing in the arts, they are present in all different types of shapes, colors, and sizes. But when a player goes to place a piece, they can use whatever pieces they want. There are no restrictions there. If the players manage to successfully get all of the pieces into the arch without it falling, they will follow the same process as before, but instead of placing pieces into the arch, they will begin removing pieces from the arch. Whichever player first causes the arch to collapse is the big loser, <laughs> and all the other players win. So there's one loser, and everybody else wins in this game. And that's generally <laughs> how you play arch rival. All right. So discussion points for arch rival. I think we're going to take it very similarly to the last one. Okay. So in Riff Raff, we talked about table presence. And I would say this one is very similar. Mm -hmm. Maybe in some ways even more striking. Is that a hot take? I don't know. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll wait to see what y'all say. But when you see it sitting there, it almost looks like an illusion in a way because it's just an arch. It's right. unsupported. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just an arch in space sitting there. And you're like, whoa, that's kind of wild. Right. So what were your first thoughts when you saw this arch structure? Seems like normal physics. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's not every day you see a freestanding arch on a table, I guess, is That's the point true. I'm making. That's true. I don't know. What did you think about it? I wasn't struck nearly as much as I was by the riffraff sailing ship, but I was wondering how this game was going to play out when I was looking at it, but I was not nearly as impressed, I don't think. Yeah, when you see the pieces before the arch gets constructed, you hear them tinkling together, you know, and uh -huh. they, you definitely feel very light and sort of frail, right? But arches are the strongest structural shape that you can work with. So you're looking at it going, okay, it's pretty strong, but it's made of these really light, sensitive materials. It's probably really fragile. Yeah. So when you start interacting with it, you definitely have nerves sure. going into it. Yeah. I think this game looks really cool on the table. Mm -hmm. I really do. When you've constructed the arch, it looks neat. My first thought was this thing's going to collapse in no time. Right. Because it looks kind of shaky. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Usually because when, when it's you on pull, a seesaw too, and it's on a seesaw, right? <laughs> right? I'm thinking, okay, this thing ain't gonna last no time, right? But as you alluded to, Cameron, our ancients, yeah, were pretty intelligent people, right? They understood things, right? Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, an arch by its very nature is inherently stable, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And so that certainly had effects on gameplay mm -hmm. for sure. So how did you guys feel about the gameplay? I like the idea that there was a side that somebody else told you where to put pieces and then created it in a the arch say, rival. Right. Yeah. The, the illusion that you're going to be in trouble when they're picking your pieces. And Bill was to my left. It was yes. the worst. <laughs> yes, that, that part was fun. So, but yeah. That was definitely my favorite part, too. Yeah. There's this interesting sort of double side to it, right? Because when the person to your right rolls the arch rival thing and you have the chance to tell them where to put it, 
on the one hand, you can try to screw them up, right? And Mm -hmm. get them to dump it on the spot that looks like it's most likely to cause the thing to collapse. On the other hand, you have to go next time. Right, (laughs) right. So I thought that was a pretty fun interaction for the game. Yeah. There's definitely a component of me trying to screw up the person to my right might actually be my own undoing. Yes. Right. And we were trying to do that, but it was holding firm. Yeah. Right. And I think just to kind of get to the point, we're beating around the bush because we're trying to say good things about it, which we should be. (laughs) This thing is very stable. Yeah. Right. It is hard to make this thing fall so much so that when we played it, we went all the way through placing all the pieces and then we pulled them all back out. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we just got done. We was like, well, what do we do? Start putting pieces it back in It never fell. <laughs> right. It we, never fell, right? We, we tried to make it fall by putting like every single piece in one of the bins and it didn't yeah. fall. So. We were even thinking like, okay, well, what is this game meant to be? Like, right. what, if it's supposed to fall, what's supposed to make it fall? And I think it must be people that are likely to make it fall are people that don't have a very steady hand. I was like going to say, Jingle jangle yeah. it as they're placing the Small tokens in children. there. children. Well, we just went yeah. from playing Riff Raff, right? At, we played Riff Raff first and then played this one. So we were all very dialed in on yep. how carefully we were able to place yes. things down. We were being super careful and we were distributing our pieces across the arch more or less evenly, mm. which is only going to make an arch like that even more strong, right? Right. No. Yeah. It would take a very horrendous, gross motor mistake stake i think to make you'd have to be like dropping the pieces in there from a height yeah yeah, or bumping it with your finger or something right right this game man it looked like it had potential right it had promising things it also has a variety of pieces Mm -hmm. in these different colors and my mind immediately began racing when i first got the game out of like okay these are different colors or different shapes there's going to be some sort of mechanism here but there's not i mean you could just place whatever piece you want whatever color you want there's really no restrictions and so everybody was just kind of taking the lightest pieces first and then going to the heaviest ones it's just kind of deflating you know what i mean they just didn't do anything interesting with it from a gameplay standpoint you know yeah and none of them were really all that heavy i mean even the heaviest piece just was really to me felt super light given our structure I i agree Yeah, my complaint was, uh, obviously, I didn't feel like there was enough tension because the game board wasn't actually sensitive enough. And I actually would have thought that the whole tippy seesaw thing would have added more tension because at some point you're going to have to place on that end and it's going to tip it down and then that could cause it to shake and crash to the ground. And at least in our plays, it just didn't happen. Yeah, It was a little bit of a letdown. Yeah, I agree. I know Bill's house rule mind was just racing oh, with yeah. potential ideas what if we use making it better. Real marbles or cinder blocks. A penny, a nickel, and a quarter. What if we make it into a drinking game? I think somebody said, what if I, I think they were being serious when they said this. I can't remember who, but they were like, what if we covered all the pieces in WD-40 or something? I was like, well, you know, that could work. Man. What needed- if the person who collapses the arch has to go outside and wrestle a pig? <laughs> Well, to, to go with Cameron's coefficient of friction, I'm wondering if, because this game's so old, if there's some kind of grime or something that got on the pieces maybe, because we're being in there and maybe just taking an alcohol wipe and wiping them all down so that they might rub apart. But these guys were stuck. I mean, we weren't bringing yeah. this arch down. Years of playing in a board game store, public play area has resulted <laughs> right. in grimy buildup and right. they're not exactly. sliding as yeah, they once yeah. did. Step one, playing arch rival, wax the pieces. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. All right. Well, we're just having fun with it now, I think. So, yeah, we're ready to rate this thing. Let's sure. do it. Yeah. All right, Cameron, kick us off here. All right. Well, it was fun to at least socially build up tension on each other's turn, but I'm 
just not super into games in which attention has to be sort of forcefully introduced by players because that's what we were doing, right? Every time it was someone's turn, it was like, oh, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, the same thing. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> I just wasn't nervous a single turn in this game yeah. that my placement was going to cause the arch to collapse and me lose the game, right? Maybe this is one that's just better suited for young people or drunk people who just may not have the same thought process as more like seasoned or more mm -hmm. sober game players. But in the end, Arch Rival just didn't really impress me. Didn't really make me want to set it back up again. And of course, I didn't have to set it back up because it was already set up. Anyway, you get my point. It's a two. It's a bad game. Got it. Nice. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So for me, this game is just it's just a just classic Parker Brothers. <laughs> Hasbro Parker Brothers. They are so good. They're masters of making games look neat. Yeah. Like Mousetrap would be a perfect example, right? Mm -hmm. Without any substance, right? That's how they trick you. Mm -hmm. Families and kids and stuff. They're like, look how cool this looks. Any meaningful playtesting at all would have revealed that this game is too easy. Mm -hmm. Way too easy, right? But either they didn't playtest it or more likely they just didn't care. Mm -hmm. And they just wanted to sell something, right? Or they play tested it with three-year-olds. <laughs> right. And I will say to that, I played this game with my kids. Mm -hmm. And they also did not find it super interesting. It fell faster with them because their gross motor is just not as fine, right? right? Yeah. You would think, okay, well, maybe the audience here are small kids. And if anybody, it would be for them. But even with them, it didn't really go off well. So for all those reasons, I'm actually giving this game a one. Oh, wow. I just don't think the game works. Yeah. I think a dexterity game is supposed to be tense by its very nature. Right. Yeah. Tension should be the key thing because you're worried about it collapsing. And I never felt worried. And so for that, it fails. Right. So for me, it's getting a one. Yeah, I'm 100% there. I'm giving it a one as well because it's broken. It didn't fall. Right. No, I feel like we need like a dramatic needed. noise for when <laughs> right. we actually distribute. <laughs> <one. laughs> like a Hans Zimmer movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, whole, the whole game. <laughs> you'd be worried about it making it fall and you couldn't make it fall when you wanted to. There's just something wrong with it. I'm with you, Chris. That's it? Mm -hmm. Man, That's it's all your words say, on man. this. Right. It's like, what, what else can you say? Those you of know? you, I'm giving this game it's one. one. Right. It's I mean, broken. I'm, I'm shocked actually that you said that your kids got it to fall. It did. Yeah. yeah. So it didn't in our place. I think it was when we were pulling them out. Oh, okay. It was a little bit trickier, but again, right. with adults, it just didn't happen. I was going to say, were you guys resolving a food fight? Or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, all yeah. that to say, let it not be said that Hidden Gems doesn't review everything. Right. There you know, you it's funny. We actually had a discussion amongst us whether we were even going to review this game. Mm -hmm. But I think this game is proof, I hope anyways, that if we haven't at least played it before, we're committed. Right. Like yeah. we have a schedule. Yeah. We have three games. These are the games and we review them whether they're crap or whether they're great. Right. Yeah. We just we go well, for it. And we said that we were going to do that. I mean, I remember in one of the first episodes we said, look, we're just going to pick three games and we're going to commit to it. Yep. And Maybe they'll be bad. <laughs> but maybe hopefully that'll make it interesting and we can make jokes about it. We can say we've done it. We've said it many times on here and I totally agree. Part of the fun of the podcast and just gaming in general with you guys is experiencing trying stuff. I'm just yeah. glad we did it. You know, yeah. we can say we did it. It wasn't great, but we played it. Right. That's right. right. Cool. All right. Those are our thoughts on. Our we're not, we're not even gonna do the word oh, you find it, dude. I forgot. <laughs> we're not time. even recommend two two one one. Like oh. no one's looking for this game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So where you can find it? All right. So there are copies of this game available at Noble Knight for as low as eighteen dollars. So if you'd like to support Noble Knight and Hidden Gems, <laughs> you can use our discount code twenty two gems get ten percent off your order. 
There are also three copies on the BGG Marketplace. Pretty rare on there, actually. So you can't find it there. There's also one on Chris's uh, driveway. In the dumpster. <laughs> That's why I can, <laughs> can pull it out of my recycling bin. Right. Save it. <laughs> All right. Close us out, Bill. Those are my thoughts. At Hibachi, we take pride in giving our customers an exciting experience, not just great food. Please enjoy watching our chefs as they prepare your orders in their own flamboyant style. They value stage presence as highly as cooking skill, so you will see our chefs flipping their utensils and twirling their garnishes as they compete for the chance to use the best available ingredients in our delicious recipes. So sit back and enjoy the show. But don't end up with egg on your face. <laughs> nice. All right. Hibachi, also known as Safranito. So I should explain Hibachi is a reprint of an older game, Safranito. Gameplay pretty much unchanged. It's just a different theme. I think Safranito had like a spice theme or okay. something like that. So similar food type of theme. Hibachi was published in 2021 pretty recent mm -hmm. for us, whereas Safranito, the original game, was published in 2010. The reprint that we're reviewing, Hibachi, was published by Grail Games, and at the time of this recording, its BGG ranking is 4,634. Mm. Pretty low, but again, it's a pretty new game, so maybe people just haven't played it yet, but then again, it's a reprint, and a lot of people just ignore reprints. Yeah, It was like, eh, it's not new, not interested. That could be why. But it's pretty far down there. Safranito's ranking at the time it's recording is 2,123. Mm -hmm. So a good bit higher. Designer of this game is Marco Tubner. He has lots of designs, but his most notable are My First Carcassonne and My First Stone Age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, huh. Are those like for children? Yeah, these are kid versions of Carcassonne and Stone Age. Okay. <laughs> 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 so, hold on, but in Stone Age, would they still have a boom-boom The boom-boom room <laughs> if, it's, if it's for children? Stone Age is a perfect birds and the bees game. If you're thinking about, is it time to talk How to my kids about that? you get a third that? person when you put two people in there? <laughs> two people go Weird. in, three people come out. You figure it out, kiddo. <laughs> All right. Brief rule summary for Hibachi. In Hibachi, the players work as chefs at a Hibachi restaurant, as Cameron mentioned so eloquently in the flavor text attempting to complete three dishes before the other players. Like our previous two games, Hibachi is also a dexterity game, but this one is quite different in that instead of testing your balance, this game tests your ability to toss weighted chips onto different targets on a game board. On the board are printed nine large ingredient spaces and then four smaller round bonus action spaces. The players are attempting to toss poker chips with a small hole in the center onto these spaces in order to earn the accompanying action or ingredient. After the throw, if you can see the ingredient or action space through the small hole in the center of the chip, the throw is valid and will earn the player the accompanying reward, as long as it is still sitting there at the end of the round of throwing. So each round, the players will throw three or four chips, depending on player count, one at a time in a clockwise direction onto the board. Once all the chips are thrown and everything is settled, the four small bonus action spaces are resolved first, with them granting different benefits such as gaining an extra ingredient card, getting an extra toss, or even gaining the ever-so-important first-player soy sauce marker. But what happens if more than one player has a valid throw onto a space? 
Well, each player has six chips in the game, and each chip is numbered anywhere from 100 yen up to 600 yen in value. On the small action spaces, whichever player threw the highest value chip on the space earns the right to do the action. Next comes the selling and buying of ingredients. So I didn't mention this in the setup, but at the start of the game, six ingredient cards are drawn from a deck and added to the periphery of the board. That shows the ingredients that are available to be acquired that round. And then in each subsequent round, six new cards will be drawn and added to the display. So this shows you what ingredients you can acquire. Once that setup is complete and players have thrown their chips, one at a time chips are turned over on the nine different ingredient spaces. First, all players may sell any ingredient cards they have of that type of ingredient for the sum value of all chips present on that ingredient. And you do not have to have a chip there to sell. So for example, if there's a 600 and a 300 chip on an ingredient from two different players, that's a sum of 900. Any player at the table can sell that type of ingredient for 900 yen, regardless of whether they have a chip there or not. Mm -hmm. The reason why selling is important is because the players need money in order to buy ingredients. After selling is complete, any players that manage to successfully land at least one of their chips onto an ingredient that has cards available for purchase has the potential to buy said ingredients. The reason I emphasize potential is because priority in purchasing ingredients goes first to the player that threw the highest value chip on the ingredient space, and then this goes in descending order. However, the value of chip thrown on the ingredient space also dictates how much you have to pay to purchase that ingredient card. So the higher you throw, the more likely you are to get the card if there's just one card there, but the more you'll have to pay to get it. After the selling and buying is complete, the players will then in turn order turn in their ingredient cards to complete recipes. Each recipe has three different ingredients on it, and the players must turn in the corresponding ingredient cards to complete that recipe card. Pretty simple. It should be noted that if any of the players had chips that landed outside of the confines of any of the printed ingredient or action spaces during the tossing round, as a consolation would get a chili card for each errant disc. Chili cards are helpful because two chili cards can be used as a substitute for any one ingredient on the three ingredient recipe victory cards. The game ends immediately once one player successfully completes three recipe cards with that player winning the game. Emphasis on immediately. I'm mm -hmm. sure we'll discuss in a little bit. That's generally how you play Safranito. Good job. Or Hibachi. <laughs> and Safranito. <laughs> and Safranito. Happens. All right. So the question for this one will be a little bit different than our last two because this is a very different dexterity game. Mm-hmm. There is no structure here. As a matter of fact, when we played this game most recently, Cameron, you weren't with us this time, but Bill and I played it with Ben and Ben's brother-in-law, Eric. Mm -hmm. And when they were looking at the board, they didn't even realize what was going to be happening. Mm -hmm. Right. When I began to explain to them, yeah, we're going to be tossing these chips on the board. They're like, oh, wow, that's what we're doing? Because it just doesn't <laughs> look like a dexterity game. Right. Really. It's very different in that way. Right. But obviously the central mechanism around this game and what really must be discussed first is the tossing. Yeah. Right. That's really what this game is built around is your ability to toss these chips onto the board to get a desired outcome. Mm -hmm. So my question is, how did you feel about that as a mechanism? And did you feel like you could get control of that, mm -hmm. that tossing mechanism? How did you feel about it? I liked it. You introduced me to Crokinole. I did. <laughs> I did. I you started like beating me to a pulp in it. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> I did feel like you could improve your skill sets on that. This, I felt like nobody was really dominating the board at any particular time. We all had lousy throws and we all had great throws, I think, from time to time. But I enjoyed the challenge of... I need to get my yen marker on whatever space. And it was just a fun experience to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought this was a great take for a dexterity board game mechanic because our mechanism. We've learned the distinction between mechanic and mechanism recently. But yeah, I thought it was a good mechanism because I think the board is actually really well calibrated. When we first started playing this, I thought, this is going to be really hard because I'm decent at placing things carefully. (laughs) Tossing things accurately has just never been my my wheelhouse. (laughs) That's why I'm a music dude and an art dude and (laughs) not a sports ball guy. But I thought because the board is actually so well calibrated, even if you miss by a little bit, there's a chance you could end up on something else that works well for you. Yeah. Or you can utilize the edges of the board. Yeah. You should of, explain this because I didn't explain so it. So the it's kind of a multi-layer cardboard thing, right? So yeah. there's a second layer around the edge that creates a perimeter that you can sort like a of, bumper. You can basically use it as a bumper to ricochet your chip into yeah. it and bounce it backward where it needs to be. So there's yeah. a little bit of a force gauging thing yes. there. If I throw it a little extra hard, I can go all the way across the board and hit one or two corners and yeah. maybe bounce it back where I want it to. Or look. you could just fly off the board. Yeah, or you could. Yeah, Chris was really good. I was really good at that. The bumper does not preclude you flying off of a board. Okay, Mm -hmm. so it doesn't make it too easy, but it does introduce some strategy and some Mm -hmm. skill. I think I will say I think there's a surprising amount of skill in this game regarding the tossing. Right. Oh yeah, it really is. There's a touch to it that you kind of have to get dialed in on because. Some of the funniest moments in this game are not just seeing people go long off the board, which I did often, no, but trying to go short, seeing somebody's going short and <laughs> missing. Yeah. Literally, your hand is like three inches from the edge of the board. And I've seen people, it's like muffing a chip in golf or something. Right. right. It's so close. Mm. That you overthink it and you just fumble it out of your hands and yeah. it falls onto the table. Hilarious. Bend it that one time. So great. But I will say on the other end of that, it is so satisfying. Especially when you need to. Yeah. You toss that chip and it lands exactly where you need it to go. And you're like, yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't luck. You tossed it. Right. Just right. You yeah. know, that feels good, I think, in this game. One of the things I led with was I don't like dexterity games because you can get good at it. And one of the things I feel about this one is if you played it 20 times, Chris, and we came back in and we're playing with four people. There's a kind of an automatic leveling of this because if somebody's yeah. getting ahead, you do have that opportunity to knock somebody else off. So mm-hmm. to me, this is one of those games that I think are well designed to help mitigate that. I totally agree with you. I'm really glad you mentioned that because it's good to mention this as a warning and a feature. Mm-hmm. I warn people this game can be mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really can oh, because. Yeah. You can get knocked off and it can be very obvious that they are intentionally knocking you off, Mm -hmm. especially when you really need something. But that's just part of this game. You have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. But as Bill said, it's a good feature because it introduces strategy, Mm -hmm. right? If Bill knows he really needs an ingredient and I'm on that ingredient, it behooves him to knock me off of there absolutely, and land there himself, right? And Mm -hmm. so if he can engineer a throw that managed to, to do that, he should be rewarded for that. And now the burden is on me. If I still have a toss, can I get him back? Right. And so it's testing your tossing, right? Yeah. Well, and beyond that, I think that an interesting thing to keep in mind is that this game is not just who can throw the thing on the thing. Right. Because as you mentioned, Bill, what if everybody gets good at and can throw the thing Mm -hmm. exactly where they want it every time? Well, that's where the difference in the value of your chips that you're throwing comes into play because you have to be strategic about that, right? You're incentivized to try to throw 
your 100 and 200 and 300, right? For your three rows most of the time. Right. But if you want to pay cheap, right. Trying to pay cheap, trying to conserve your money, not having to engineer sale opportunities often, not having to sell cards that you've acquired earlier because you're tight on money. Yeah. But if you're trying to go for a card that you really need, well, maybe don't throw your lowest one. Maybe throw a higher number one on there and you're willing to pay for it. Yeah. But you know that you're going to be the first person with the opportunity to pay for one. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the strategic elements because this is one thing Eric mentioned. Shout out to Eric who played Mm -hmm. with us. It was fun to get to meet him. He said, you know, there are different ways to go about what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. But there's one action spot on the board, those small actions, that will let you draw ingredient cards from the deck. So maybe you don't have the ingredient available that you need. But the game is offering you an alternative way to acquire that ingredient, right? right? Or maybe I just don't have any recipes that are good. I can throw on that space and get a recipe card, right? Right. That only you can That only I can do. And so I guess what I'm saying is I'm agreeing with you. There is that base dexterity element of the tossing. But on top of that is a layer. We're not just tossing chips. We're actually thinking about things, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. there's a strategy going on there. There's bidding on each one with the skill. Well, and you also emphasize the idea of the game ending immediately when someone fulfills their three recipes. That's really important to remember. And it goes to this idea of thinking about what you're doing on your turn mm-hmm. because it means that that soy sauce space oh boy. is pretty important to target. And I knew we were going to talk about it because yeah, yeah, yeah. it affects the game, right? Because it resets the turn order. So if you're, say, on a turn counting on being able to get one card and then you're going to fulfill your third recipe, well, be careful because you may not actually get the chance to even play yes. on that turn. And that's actually what happened in one of my games. I was like, I've got this wrapped up. I've got what I need I've to win. I've got it in my hand. I don't need the chilies, which we can talk about in a second. <laughs> but I'm good. And Chris was like, I got the soy sauce and I got the last card I need and I'm finishing the game. Game over. Yeah, I went and through on the soy sauce spot to get it. Right. Just because I knew that one of y'all was going to be able to do it as well. Right. And I knew I needed to be first. Yeah. And right. on that turn, I actually, I already had the soy sauce bottle. So right. I had started, but what I didn't do is make an effort to ensure that I retained that soy sauce bottle in the first place position. Right. right? So thinking about that becomes really important in this game. And I, I was happy to let that one go. Right. Because you just played smartly. Mm-hmm. And to, managed to, to land the to, throw, which I was sure. amazed I could but But the fact off, that you but, were targeting it, like right. I think that was smart. Yeah, it's an option. And I could have maybe done something about it, but I, I didn't. Right. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. So I don't think they say this in the rules, but as there's four of us playing, there are dishes that are close to you and there are dishes that are far away from you across the table, yeah. right? And so we kind of made the house rule that mm-hmm. you don't get up from your seat so that the people on the other side of the table will have far yes. plates sometimes and sometimes you'll have far plates and sometimes close plates and it would all balance out. But it was super interesting in one of the game ends for me that we were all going after the soy sauce. Yes. Right. And I was, <laughs> there ends up being a line right in front of it that you just can't get to it. But yes, I think the end game gets to be really fascinating yes. on how people jockey for positions. The game changes. I'm glad you mentioned that at the end. Mm -hmm. It very much enters a second phase. At first, Mm -hmm. you're just trying to acquire ingredients. Mm -hmm. Right. Cheaply. And then the game begins to transition to what do I need and how can I be as close to first as possible? And yeah, the fighting over that soy sauce spot can get really intense. And it's a small target, right? Right. Right. It can get really intense. So some good things. What did y'all not care for? Bill, did you have any cons in Hibachi? 
you know, not really. I mean, just old man eyes. I think maybe <laughs> on, the, on some of the recipes, it's kind of hard to tell the difference between yeah, like rice, rice and, and onions. onions and, right. And I think shrimp and the fish were a little closer they to They look me. similar. But I mean, nothing that can't be alleviated by picking it up and actually looking at it. <laughs> um, I think it has great table presence. I think it looks awesome. The chips feel really good. Grail I mean, Games I, did a good job. They, yeah, they did a great job with all that. So I don't really have a whole lot of dislikes other than it's hard to toss. And yeah, I suck at the, even the close ones. <laughs> that gets frustrating. Yeah, Yeah, I would say the only potential con is I think some people will just be seriously not into tossing stuff. And that could be just a deal breaker for them. And I think that would be regrettable just because I think there's a lot of game to appreciate here. But I could see it being a turnoff. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I don't have any glaring cons. I think one thing I'll have to mention, and I was the worst about announcing this and i wasn't trying to be bill knows what i'm gonna say but i watch for things like this not because i think people are trying to cheat i never think that i really don't i don't ever think anybody's trying to treat but you can unintentionally cheat in this game Mm -hmm. if this is the kind of thing that bothers you you just need to be aware that your hand when you're tossing is not supposed to cross the edge of the board okay and as the game gets going and you get deeper and deeper into the game you just don't think about that yeah. mm-hmm. as much and your hand will just inadvertently cross the verge of the board. Right. Especially those long shots. Especially those long shots. Right. Yeah. And you really shouldn't care about that. And I kind of don't, but sometimes the hand can really cross the board. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, your hand kind of crossed the board, <laughs> but then it runs into issues. Cause people are like, no, it didn't. And then how do you police that? Yeah. Right. Are you really going to be that guy? That's like, that throw doesn't count. You know, yeah, like, just don't yeah. do that. Yeah. But you just need to be aware that that might happen. Maybe you just need to tell everybody, okay, scoot your chair back six inches. Right. Right. But I'm just making the point that if that kind of thing gets on your nerves, this might drive you crazy. Yeah. yeah because yeah. it's going to happen in this right. game. It's yeah. just going to happen. I mean, or, you know, work up a series of webcams and then do instant replays <laughs> right. and then really police each right. other, right? Just laser don't. Beam. That's what we said. Yeah, we said we like, need like a bowling foot foul line or right. something. Just yeah. don't partly police this game. Just either go all in or don't really bother with it. I mean, there was one been through one time and like his whole hand went across. I was like, dude, your hand. And he's like, no, my hand didn't cross the board. I was like, dude, it did. Right. You just don't realize now, you're doing the it. the kind of true. person that if you did have instant replays, then you're really going to draw him <laughs> in because that dude loves sports and yeah, instant replays and stuff. That's what we'll do. We'll set up a camera in the corner we'll a TV <laughs> and we'll just run it back. That's uh, frame, awesome. Frame by frame analysis. Ooh. All right. So we wrap it up? I think so. Yeah. All right. I'll start us off this time. So overall, I enjoyed Hibachi. I think this is a really good little game that honestly needs more attention and deserves to be higher on BGG, at least this newer printing. If you've been in the hobby for a while, you've probably heard of Safranito, but people who are newer to the hobby probably don't know this game. Mm-hmm. And like I said, this game flew under the radar mm-hmm. hugely. Okay. This game is fun. As I just mentioned, it has some minor imprecision issues that normally bother me, but that is easily overcome in this game by the satisfaction you get from making a really good shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you land a good shot and you were trying to and it just didn't flukily roll over there, which sometimes that happens too, and I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) But when you actually land a good shot, it's like a fist pump moment. Mm -hmm. It gives me similar feels to Crokinole in that regard, actually. When you hit a good shot in Crokinole, it feels that way. And then layer on top of that, as Cameron mentioned and Bill, you as well, some strategic things to think about. Like I said, you're not just tossing things. You're tossing things with intention, Mm -hmm. right? You're thinking about what makes the most sense to try to go for here. And are there alternative paths I can take if chips are in my way? 
Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So for me, I really enjoy this one. I'm giving it a four. I think this game is good. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I enjoyed playing it. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to repeat most of what you said. I really enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed tossing it. I really enjoyed knocking Chris off of space. Oh, a man, lot. all the time. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you're talking about strategy, there is not only what you need, you are really looking at what other people yeah. are getting. And when you see them with their chip on an ingredient that is an ingredient that you want, you know automatically they're going for the same thing you are. Yes. So that same part card. Good. The other part of it is it's good with the warm fuzzies because even if you miss, you get knocked off nine times out of ten, you're going to get the hot sauce, right? right. Or, or the, the chili card. The chili card. Yeah. And so it's not a complete loss. So at right. the end of each round, you still kind of feels good. I do love the layered strategies and the tension of it builds as you're getting your ingredients and you get mm-hmm. to those last rounds. I love the story arc of this yeah. game. Yeah. When you, it, the, the it has a photo it. finish feel to it. You exactly. kind of feel everybody getting there at the same right. time. You're like, I gotta okay. get there first. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, so whether I won or lost, I just thought it was fun to have it on the table. So me, I'm, I'm gonna give it a five. I really Oof. liked it. I like it. That's cool. awesome, man. I was close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to give it a five too. All right, man. I agree. Hibachi was really fun for me. I didn't win, but I felt engaged each round and never felt like I was really too far behind. The game, I think, does a good job of not only rewarding those with the best dexterity. I like that even if you didn't feel you could toss your chip exactly where you needed it to get a card in a given round, there's so much else you can either do to target a special space or get a high value chip somewhere and sell money back or even just throw and try to mess up an opponent's plans. There's so much to like about this game, just mechanism wise. And on top of that, like most of these dexterity games, the interactions with other players are just lighthearted and fun rather than more serious and quiet like a lot of the games we yeah. review on the show. So it's been quite a while for me, but I think I'm going to give Hibachi a five as well. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. This is an awesome game. I think this genre often gets overlooked in the community because mm-hmm. so many more strategic and complex games take the spotlight. But for a dexterity game, I think there's a lot going on in this one and a lot to think about, like we talked about. Do you have to excel at tossing chips or at least be lucky sometimes? Of course. But I definitely think more than any other dexterity game I played, Hibachi demands that you play strategically and smartly and not just deftly. Mm-hmm. This is a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Dude. I thought I was going to like riffraff more than this one. But, yeah, I did but too, once actually. But we, once we got to thinking about it, I was like, no, Hibachi's a much better game. Yeah. Right. It has yeah. so much more depth to it. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So, Chris, if we wanted to pick it up, where could we find this? Yeah. So, there are copies available at Noble Knight. Yay. Oh. So, 22 Gems, discount code, get 10% off your order. Interestingly, there are only three copies on BDG for a game that came out in 2021. And is ranked 4,000 something. Yeah. Maybe this game is in between print runs or something. Like I said, it just came out. Or no one actually bought them off of the shelf, so they're maybe. none in the resale market. Yeah, I, I'm puzzled by this. I, I would wonder if maybe you went to some other online retailers like Miniature Market or something. They might be there. Or maybe even Amazon. I try not to throw Amazon out a lot, but you sure. know, you could look there. Because it's not old. Mm-hmm. It's findable, for sure. This is not a 4,000 BGG-ranked game. Like it's not sh- typical. It does not deserve to be down there. I agree. Way too low down. Yep. Way too low down, for sure. Games like this are why we exist, people. Yeah, yeah guys, get the rank on this. Move this thing up. BGG. <laughs> <laughs> Help us to understand that this podcast is having an impact <laughs> on the board game community. <laughs> oh, awesome. Or just go play it and have fun. That's it. We just fun. care that you guys are having fun, honestly. <laughs> I don't care about BGG. <laughs> All right, wrap us up, man. All right. 
Well, thank you for joining us for this dexterity episode of Hidden Gems. If you like what we're doing here, please remember it's a huge help for us if you leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. We do actually have, I think, something like 50 ratings, something like that. And and, and very positive. Thank you guys for that. But one thing that we could benefit from, especially in Apple, is more reviews. We've got a few good ones, but it'd be awesome to have several more. You can also check us out on social media. We're active on Instagram. Those simple things can make a big difference for the show's exposure to more folks so more people can enjoy exploring these games with us. You can check out the BGG Guild if you want to interact with us. And if you're inclined, consider supporting the show over at patreon.com slash hidden gems podcast. You can check out all the backstage episodes that we're putting up there these days or you could go to our store buy a hidden gems t-shirt buy a hat we've got logo hats now that's at hidden gems board game podcast.com slash store and until next time i'm your host cameron this is chris this is bill thanks for watching thanks for listening (laughs) (laughs) this episode of hidden gems number 41 was recorded in raleigh north carolina on october 9 2022 Hidden Gems is produced and edited by Chris Alley, Cameron Lockie, and Jason Yonchler. Our Board Game Geek Guild is monitored and managed by honorary Hidden Gems team member Ghidorah. Our Discord channel is monitored and managed by honorary Hidden Gems team member Snoozefest. Our show's logo was illustrated by designer and artist Caitlin Nieto. Check out her work on Instagram at It's Caitlin Nieto. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to join the discussion on our many social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook at Hidden Gems Board Game Podcast, Instagram at hiddengems.podcast, and Twitter at Hidden Gems Board. Disagree with one of our reviews? Have something you want to say about one of the games we discussed today? You can also make your voice heard on our Board Game Geek Guild at boardgamegeek.com, guild number 3874. Once again, thank you for joining us on Hidden Gems, and until next time, fellow gem seekers, enjoy your games and enjoy your search.